Tonight's New Testament reading is Hebrews 12, verses 3 through 11. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Should we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we have had uh, a great couple days on our retreat, and I always ask our retreat speaker if they would be so kind to come back here Sunday night so they can be with us in our regular digs and also have a chance to just, uh, those of you that weren't able to make the weekend to hear and share in uh, some of the joy we had. So I'm so grateful uh, for Owen Lee and his desire to be with us. We've had a wonderful time hearing this. There's a verse in the Bible that says that you share the gospel, but not only your gospel, but your life with us. And uh, he has done that. Just tell you a bit about Owen's life. Um, Owen is a West Coast man brought to the East Coast, and uh, he planted and pastored a church out in the West Coast for 10 years, and then came to take the senior pastor position at Christ Central Church in Centerville. And he was kind enough to have me out there uh, I don't know if it was a year, a year and a half, to, I don't remember, but uh, it was the week before Thanksgiving, and, um, or the week of Thanksgiving, um, and uh, had a great time with his community. They were so uh, warm, and just to see a dynamic work of God happening. Um, but I, I also, you know, see this guy's just heart. We're Facebook friends. I don't know if you knew that, but... <laughs> I, you know, I know you've got lots of Facebook friends, but we are. And uh, I'm sure the moment I've, you know, we, we connected, you said, Honey, you know, Glenn and I are Facebook friends. But, uh, but, you know, just to see his even heart for God's kingdom and the gospel come through there, I just regularly smile. He is married to Margaret, who he uh, will prof- profess uh, till he's blue in the face that was God's gift to him. And he has three uh, beautiful children. And uh, one thing you have to know about Owen is he despises sports. <laughs> Just can't stand sports. Don't mention it to him. I mean, okay. I'm kidding. Come on up here. Uh, let me pray for this brother as he comes and shares the word of God with us. Thank you, man. Thank you so much for Owen and his faith, for saving him, for loving him, and for uh, the man of God you've made him into. Thank you for sharing the fruit of his study with us and his life. 
And Lord, we now uh, know Jesus. It's you and your spirit that gives us bread for life and water. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Okay. Thanks, Glenn. Good evening. It's good to be with you all. Um, had a great time with you this weekend. Um, what a thrill for this suburban pastor to be with the city church. And I've, I've learned so much. I, I grew so much just by being with you. And uh, this weekend, we were thinking about the theme of what it means to be a healthy, gospel-centered, Jesus-loving, spirit-filled church. And we talked about some of the uh, characteristics or practices of such a church. Uh, one practice would be living together in community. Another practice would be uh, being a community that practices grace-giving speech to one another. And this morning we explored the idea of, of, of living from God's approval and not for God's approval. And, and tonight I want to think about this. A healthy, gospel-centered, Jesus-loving, spirit-filled church responds appropriately to God's discipline when it comes. The year 2011 was a crazy and tumultuous year in my life. 2011 is what I call the tale of two lives. You see, there was the life that I planned to live, and then there was the life that I actually lived. Two very different lives. You see, the life that I planned to live in the year 2011 was a, was a year filled with ministry fruitfulness. I envisioned a year where the church I had planted and pastored for nearly nine years at the time would undergo some significant changes for the better as we took seriously our call to be a church on mission for the gospel in the city where God had play, uh, placed us. I thought it was an amazing plan. Surely God would be pleased with this plan and God would bless this plan, allow this plan to come to fruition. But God had a very different plan for my life. By the end of 2011, I had experienced the most difficult, frustrating, and exhausting season of my life as a pastor. I found myself in constant and draining conflict with uh, some of my key leaders at our church. You see, I wanted to take the church in this new direction, but they wanted to continue in this direction. And ultimately, by the end of the year 2011, it led to a very difficult but necessary separation. You see, by November of 2011, I resigned from the church I had planted and pastored and loved for over nine years. It was one of the most painful things I've ever went through as a pastor. So you see, there was a life that I planned for myself, and then there was a life that God planned for me. And guess whose plan won? God's, right? But guess whose plan was better? God's. As you look forward to the rest of this year and to the years to come, I'm sure that you have plans for your life, plans for what you want to do, plans for what you want to accomplish, plans for what you want to experience. But let me ask you, how many of you are planning for yourself personal disappointments and professional setbacks? Go ahead, raise your hand if you're planning that for yourself. Well, nobody in their right mind plans things like that for themselves, right? Things that would cause pain or anxiety or anger or fear. Nobody plans stuff like that for themselves. But you know what? God, your Father in heaven who loves you, he has planned some of those things for you and for your life. And as you hear me say that, you might be thinking to yourself, but pastor, why in the world would God do that? 
Why would God plan pain and suffering for my life? I mean, isn't it God's job to protect me from that? Isn't it God's job to make my life easier? To make my life carefree and pain-free? Isn't that what God's supposed to do as long as I'm faithful to him? Why in the world would God intentionally plan painful things for me and for my family? Well, that's a good and a very honest question, isn't it? Well, here's a simple answer. It's because your Father in heaven, he loves you. And because he loves you, he will bring discipline into your life. According to the text that we read tonight, that was read for us, that's the way a wise and loving and sovereign God treats and trains his children, the children that he loves. So today we're going to talk about enduring the Father's discipline. Well, our text teaches us three things about God's discipline, doesn't it? Simply, first, it's painful. Second, it's loving. And third, it's purposeful. So it's painful, but it's loving, and it's purposeful. Let's get started. According to verse 11, the Father's discipline is painful, not pleasant. God's discipline comes to you through anything and everything that is painful and unpleasant in your life right now. You see, whatever is causing you pain or whatever will cause you pain, that is a means and that is a form of God's discipline in your life. Maybe you hate your job. I mean, you can't stand your boss. Or maybe there's an obnoxious coworker that just gets on your nerves and it's a pain to just have to sit next to him or her all day long. Or maybe you just lost your job and you don't know what you're going to do because the bills keep coming and the severance is running out. Or maybe you have a job, but you just don't make enough. And every month it's a struggle to make ends meet and, and, you, and, and you get anxious and afraid because you're trying to provide for your family, but the margin is so thin. Or maybe you failed at something you really wanted to succeed at. Maybe you wanted to get into that law school or that medical school, but you didn't. Or maybe you applied for that promotion at work, but they decided to go in another direction. Or maybe you're single and you really want to get married. I mean, you want to start a family. But it seems like none of your relationships seem to be working out. And as you get older, you're beginning to lose hope that you're going to find that right guy or the right girl. And the dreams of having a big family are being, uh, becoming broken dreams. Or maybe you're married, but there's tension and distance in your marriage. Maybe you're realizing that your spouse isn't the person that you thought he or she would become once you married them. Maybe it seems like everyone else is happily married but you. And it's dawning on you that you're officially in that category unhappily married. And maybe you've even thought about a divorce. Or maybe your kids aren't thriving the way you wish they would. At school or at sports, they're not thriving and it breaks your heart. Or maybe you have teenage kids <laughs> and they're making poor choices left and right, just harming themselves and bringing pain to you. And, and you sit there helpless watching your teenager just make a mess. Or maybe your in-laws are a source of grief and pain. Or maybe you're sick or someone you love is really sick. So let me ask you, what's causing you pain? What's making you angry, afraid, or anxious? What's breaking your heart or making your blood boil? What's keeping you up at night 
or making you cry yourself to sleep in your pillow? What's making you want to run away or end it all? Whatever that is, that's God's fatherly discipline in your life, and it can be extremely painful. And when God brings discipline into your life, it's not if, but when, you can respond in one of three ways, right? The first way you can respond to God's discipline is by despising it. According to verse 5, this is when you respond by regarding lightly the discipline of the Lord. This is when you hate it. This is when you get angry with God and you get angry at God. This is when you shake your fist at God. This is when you say something like this. Now, of course, you never say this out loud, but you might say it in your heart. Something like this. How can God do this to me? I mean, after all that I've done for God, I mean, I even served as a counselor at the past 10 retreats. I tithe. I read my Bible. I pray. I try to be a good dad. I try to be a good mom. I mean, I've gone on three mission trips. I serve so much in the church. I mean, after all that I've done for God, how can God do this to me and to my family? It's not fair. I deserve better than this. God is unjust. This is the I shake my fist at God response. This is when you get mad at God. You know, um, a few years ago, an NFL football player, this is my first football reference, by the way. All weekend it was about the NBA. An NFL football player by the name of Stevie Johnson, some of you remember this, dropped an easy pass in the end zone that would have won for his team a very important game. And after the game, Stevie tweeted God. Apparently, God has a Twitter account, and God gets tweets. And Stevie tweeted God this message. I praise you 24-7, and this is how you do me? You expect me to learn from this? How? I'll never forget this, ever. You see, when God sovereignly sends pain or loss or disappointment into your life, one way that you can respond is by despising it. And if you do, I'm going to warn you, you will become an angry and bitter person. Angry and bitter at other, other people, angry and bitter at the world, and ultimately angry and bitter at God. This is the I hate thee response to the painful discipline that God brings into your life. Now, the second way you can respond to discipline is by being devastated by it, right? According to verse 5, this is when you respond by becoming weary. This means that you lose heart, you lose hope. Uh, if the first response is the I hate the response, the second response is the I hate me response, right? If the first response is getting mad at God for what's going on, the second response is being mad at yourself. This is when you say something like this in your inner dialogue. God must be punishing me for all the bad things I've done. It's because I've been so bad, so unfaithful. I've sinned so badly that God is punishing me. God must have surely rejected me. God doesn't love me anymore. I must be an orphan again. I hate my life. I hate myself because I deserve what I'm getting. You see, again, if the first response is to get mad at God, then the second response is to get mad at yourself. And this is when you don't get filled with anger, but you rather get filled with depression. You feel sorry for yourself, and you get filled with self-pity, and you mope around. You know, I've been a pastor for 20 years now. And as I say that, I can hardly believe that I can say that I've been a pastor for 20 years, because I feel like I'm, I'm still so new to the ministry. 
But it's crazy. I've been a pastor for over 20 years. And over the past 20 years, I have seen God's people suffer, sometimes very extreme suffering. I will never forget the day when I stood next to a man who was a dear friend who had to bury his 10-year-old daughter. 10. And I will never forget the two times I stood next to two young men who had to bury their young wives because they gave in to breast cancer and they were both in their early 30s. And I'll never forget the time when I had to do a funeral for a child. Have you ever seen a three-foot-long casket? And have you ever heard parents wail, not weep, but wail uncontrollably as they had to bury their son? I have seen God's people suffer. Last, uh, last month, I turned 45. I know, you can't believe it, right? I look like I'm 30, I know. I'm <laughs> but I'm 45, and I've seen suffering. And I've also seen God's people respond in both of these ways, sometimes getting mad at God, sometimes getting mad at themselves, and sometimes the same response uh, from the same person. One day, mad at God. The next day, mad at themselves. They don't know who to be mad at. They're just mad, right? But those two ways of responding, either despising discipline or being devastated by it, are not the right way to respond. There is a third way to respond to God's discipline, and that's to be developed by it. And you let discipline de uh, develop you when you endure it, verse 7, when you submit to it, verse 9, and when you get trained by it, verse 11. Enduring, submitting, and being trained. That is the way to let God's discipline develop you. That's the response of faith, and that's the proper way for God's children to respond to God's fatherly, painful discipline. But you might be thinking, but why? Why should I endure, submit to, and be trained by it? Well, it's because God's discipline is loving and it's purposeful. Verse 6 says that the Lord disciplines the one that he loves. Now, in order for us to understand that God's discipline is loving, we need to understand the difference between discipline and punishment. You see, discipline is not the same thing as punishment. God disciplines us, but he does not punish us. You see, every single one of us in this room, we're sinners, right? We've all loved someone or something more than God. We've all sinned against others as we've uh, pursued the things that we've loved. We've hurt and used and abused other people to get things that we want. I mean, no matter how much we try to rationalize it, justify it, explain it, yet deep down we know that we're all sinners. And the Bible says that we all deserve God's punishment for our sins. You see, punishment is the expression of God's holy wrath against sin. But the gospel says that God gave the punishment that we deserved to another. The punishment that you and I deserved was given to Jesus. You see, on the cross, Jesus, as our substitute, received the hell and the punishment that you and I deserved for our sins. You see, Jesus, in his own body and soul, experienced the wrath of God 
that we deserved for our sins and transgressions. Jesus took all of our punishment, and you know what that means? There is none left. There is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Friends, that's the gospel, that Jesus on the cross willingly received the punishment that we deserved. Because he, and he did that because he loves us. And as I love to say at our church, we were so bad that Jesus had to die for us, and yet we're so loved that Jesus was glad to die for us. You know, maybe you're here today and, and you're not yet a Christian. I'm so glad that you're here. And today, as you're investigating the claims of Christianity, as you're listening to me speak, you might be thinking to yourself, I mean, is this true? You know, before you ask yourself, is this true, let me just ask you, do you know, I mean, can you confess, can you admit that you have sin in your life? And do you wish to be released from your sins? Do you wish to be forgiven of all your sins, even the sins that you're afraid to bring up because you feel like they're unforgivable? You know, you don't have to understand the whole Bible to believe the gospel, right? And tonight, if you know that you have sins that you can't get rid of, I promise you that if you believe in Jesus, Jesus will take it away and you'll be forgiven of all of your sins. Why? Because Jesus took the punishment that you deserved, because he loves you. Today, I would encourage you to take that step of faith and trust Jesus to do for you what you can never do for yourself, to get rid of the guilt and the shame of your sins. He will take it away. That's a gospel promise. So the punishment is an expression of God's wrath, but discipline, listen, is an expression of God's love for his forgiven children. God has promised to never punish us in anger, but he has also promised to discipline us in love. God's discipline will hurt, but it will never harm us. Verses 7 and 8 tell us that if God disciplines us, then it proves that we really do belong to him as his sons and daughters. You know, a few years ago when my son Caleb, who's 13 now, so about five years ago when he was eight, um, I needed to discipline him, and that meant, you know, I had to break out the paddle and spank him a little bit. And, um, and before I was about to discipline him, Caleb, my son, said to me, Dad, 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 stop! <laughs> How can you discipline me if you say that you love me? You see, in the mind of my eight-year-old son, pain and love were incompatible, right? Now, if you're a parent of a child, you know how silly and immature that kind of thinking is. But before you judge my son... Let me ask you, aren't you just like my son? How many times have you said to God in your heart, God, if you say you love me, how can you bring pain into my life? And God answers you the way I answered my son on that day. I said, Caleb, I discipline you precisely because I love you. You see, my discipline is an expression of my fatherly love for you, and it's an expression of my commitment to you as your father to want the very best for you. So discipline is an expression of God's love for us. Discipline is loving, but discipline is not just loving. It's also purposeful. According to verse 10, our Father in heaven disciplines us for our good. You see, friends, the pain in your life 
is not pointless. There's a purpose for it. Verse 10 says that the purpose of God's discipline is that we might share in God's holiness. Verse 11 says that the purpose of God's discipline is that it might yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. So the purpose of God's discipline in your life is to sanctify you and to conform you into the likeness and image of Jesus. Did you know that God cares more about your character than your comfort? God cares more about your faith than your finances. God cares more about your humility than your health. God cares more about your sanctification than your success. And in the mysterious wisdom of God, God will sometimes take away your comfort to give you more character. And sometimes God will take away some of your finances to give you more faith. And sometimes God will take away some of your luxury to give you more love. And sometimes God will take away some of your health to give you more humility. And for those of you who live in D.C., I know this is crazy, this is a nightmare, but sometimes God will take away your success to give you more sanctification. You see, friends, the purpose of God's fatherly discipline, as painful as it is, is to transform you and to make you more like Jesus. That is the most loving thing that God our Father could do for you and for me, to make us more like Jesus and to conform us into his image. And in God's marvelous and infinite wisdom, the means that God has chosen to do that are the very things that cause you pain. The unpleasant things that you and I try to avoid at all costs. The things that we would never, ever plan for ourselves. Think about it. Imagine if you were God Almighty. How many of you remember the movie Bruce Almighty? All right, all right, good. Okay, you guys remember that movie. Imagine if I'm like Owen Almighty. I had the power of God, right? What would I plan for myself? I would plan for myself exactly the same things that you would plan for yourself, right? First of all, I would plan lots and lots of money. <laughs> A lot of money. I would plan health for me and for everyone I love. Success, I mean, everything I touch would just blossom and thrive. I mean, I would plan whatever would maximize my pleasure and minimize my pain. That's what you would plan for yourself, right? Would you ever plan for yourself physical injury? Would you ever plan for yourself business failure? Would you ever plan for yourself being fired from your job? You see, friends, we would never, ever plan things for ourselves that would make us anxious, angry, or afraid. We would never do that. But thank God that God plans things for us that we would never plan for ourselves. And thank God that his plans always trump our plans for ourselves. You see, our plans are to make ourselves happy, but God's plan is to make us holy. See, God's plans are always high, higher, wiser, and better than our plans. So the proper way to respond to God's discipline in order to be, in order to be developed by it is to say something like this. Father, I don't know why 
you're allowing this to happen in my life. It's so hard. It hurts so much. I'm so afraid. Though I can't understand why you're doing this, I can trust you because I know that you love me. The cross proves to me that you love me. And so though I can't understand, though I might not agree with what you're doing, yet I will trust you because you have promised that all things will work together for my good. Friends, that is the posture of humility and faith that allows you to be developed by the discipline that God brings into your life. You know, in the months to come, in the years to come, God will bring unplanned and unpleasant things into your life, painful things that are going to make you cry. And that's God's discipline in your life, and the purpose of God's discipline is to develop you. Uh, Francis Chan, he's a pastor and he's an author, he said this, that some of the greatest things that have ever happened in his life are things that he did not plan. You see, by the end of 2011, something happened in my life that I did not plan. I resigned from the church that I had pastored. Now, I don't know if you know this, but no pastor plans to resign from the church that he plants. It's just not in the plans. Um, do you know what my plans for myself were as a church planter? I'll tell you my plan. It's kind of embarrassing, uh, but I'll tell you anyway because this is a safe place, right? Grace DC is all about grace, right? So let me be honest here. My plan was to retire, not resign, to retire after 35 years of amazing ministry. And then for the church to throw me a parade. Not a party, but a parade. <laughs> and for my adoring congregants to say, Pastor Owen, you were the best pastor we've ever had. The next pastor is going to be a disappointment compared to you. I mean, I don't know how we're going to carry on without you. Basically, I, I envisioned in my mind being celebrated and loved because I was such a faithful, godly, humble pastor. Uh, great plan, right? Not so much. But thank God that wasn't God's plan for me. God's plan for me was for me to experience one of the most painful things in my life as I experienced a very significant failure. You know, all the church experts said it's really, really hard to lead a church through change. But I thought, you know, I planted this church. They love me here. If there's anyone that can lead this church through change, I'm the man for the job. And so I rolled up my sleeves and I got to work. I mean, I worked harder than I've ever worked. I mean, I prayed more than I've ever prayed. And that's a good thing, right, for a pastor to pray. And I met with our key uh, leaders and elders, and I tried to persuade them, uh, coax them, cajole them to do whatever I could to show them that this new vision that God had put on my heart was for our church. And no matter how much I persuaded, no matter how much I pleaded, they wouldn't budge. And then I had to utter those two words that every overachieving Asian American is terrified to say. I failed. I'll be honest with you. It's easier for me to say I sinned than I failed. I would rather sin than fail, folks. 
had never failed like that before. And there I was as a 40-year-old dealing with failure issues so publicly, so significantly. But you know, the failure that I experienced was not meant to harm me, but to humble me. Let me explain. See, through what happened, I personally came to a better grasp of the gospel at the heart level. Let me explain. You see, in my head, I know, I know, that there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. I know that there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. I know that in my head. I'm reformed, okay? I went to Westminster Seminary. I know that up here. But at the heart level, I tend to believe something else. Do you know what I tend to believe at the heart level? That if I do good, if I perform well, God likes me a little bit more. But But if I don't perform very well, if I don't do so well, God likes me a little less. And there I was, a pastor in my own eyes, I had not performed well. And I remember thinking this to myself, I mean, God must really love Tim Keller. (laughs) But me, just tolerates me, you know. I think I'm still getting into heaven, but I don't think he's going to have time for me. Just tolerated. On the Monday morning, after my last Sunday at my old church, as I was driving the U-Haul down the five freeway to the church office to clear out my office, I felt like a complete and utter failure. How many of you have ever had to clear out your office? Go ahead, raise your hand. A few of us. It's no fun, right? It hurts. And I remember thinking, everything that I had worked for for nine years was gone. I remember thinking, I can't believe it's ending like this. This is not what I envisioned nine years ago when I planted this church. But as I was driving, I had some gospel music playing, and I began to listen to the words, and then it hit me. The gospel is still true. God still loves me. Jesus still bled for me. The Holy Spirit still lives in me. God is still my father, and he still loves me, even though I had performed poorly, even though I had failed. And as I listened to those words, I began to cry. I began to cry because the gospel was true. God doesn't just love sinners. He also loves failures. And just as my sins can never separate me from the love of God in Christ, neither could my failures. You see, the gospel is good news not for perfect people who never sin or who never fail, but for broken people like me, for people who actually sin and who actually fail. You see, um, the gospel is for people who need grace. Raise your hand if you need grace tonight. I'm in good company. Through the pain of failure, I came to a deeper and a better grasp of the gospel at the heart level. You see, um, I was a pastor without a church. And that's pretty hard. You see, there was no group of people that I could point to and say, they're the group that calls me pastor. There was nothing I could point to and say, look what I've done. I had nothing to boast in. But it was precisely in that moment when I had nothing to boast in that I realized I could still boast in Jesus. That he still knows me. He still loves me. He still values me, even though I didn't do anything great for him. 
You know, friends, it's a really good thing for a preacher of the gospel to actually believe the gospel that he preaches. For a pastor to believe in his own heart that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And for me to believe it for myself. And then I felt like I was ready to actually preach it to other people. You know, as I look back at 2011, I can laugh at thankfulness because my plan was to change my church. But God's plan was to change me. And God's plan is so much better. In the same way, friends, in the near future, God will bring some painful things into your life. But God will use them for good. And when God brings his discipline into your life, don't despise it. Don't be devastated by it. But by faith and with humility, let it develop you. Let it make you more like Jesus. And let it make the gospel that much more precious to you. Because, friends, that's what a healthy, gospel-centered, Jesus-loving, spirit-filled church does. It responds appropriately to God's discipline when it comes. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray for your blessing upon this church, upon Grace D.C. By your spirit, would you make Grace D.C. a healthy, gospel-centered, Jesus-loving, spirit-filled church to the glory of God and for the good of greater Metro D.C. Amen.